0: Dear Lord, you are indeed holy. And our prayer is tonight is that we come to your word that we would understand how holy you are and and the need for us to stand before you and to confess our sins. Confident that you hear us and confident that you have mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Someone once told me that they think that it's better not to apologise because it's a sign of weakness. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. Uh, I, I wonder even whether you might have even thought that before. I actually think the opposite's true. I actually think that when a person stands up and takes responsibility for something, I reckon it looks like they're strong, not weak. And particularly when they've got to apologise for someone else's mistake. That's really tough and it's really strong. Like the other day when Manly Rugby League coach Des Hadler had to apologise for the Pride jersey saga. He didn't cause the problem, but he certainly did deliver the apology. In great detail, he explained exactly what went wrong and then to one group after another, he apologised about how they were hurt by the mistake that was made. I don't think it made Des Des Hasler look weak, I I actually think it made him look strong. Now as good as it was, I don't think it will go down as one of the greatest speeches of history, although have a read of it, it was really quite well written and spoken. But what we are going to look at tonight is one of the greatest speeches in history and it's for us here in the Scriptures, in the Bible. It's one of the greatest prayers of all time and in particular it's one of the greatest prayers of confession of sin that has ever been prayed. Daniel is the guy who prayed it. He's the guy we've been following as we've looked at the Old Testament book that bears his name. And like Des Hasler, it's a prayer or a statement that's actually said on behalf of others. It's a pretty intense prayer, and it's intense because he confesses to some very serious sins. And he acknowledges that they deserve his crushing punishment. Now, his prayer was a special time in history that's very different to ours, but there is a lot that can be learned by studying it. Because even though we live in the era after the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can still echo many of the words of Daniel. Now the first verse tells us just when it was that Daniel prayed this prayer. We read that it was in the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Aharius, who became king of the Babylonians. Uh, Darius the Mede, well, if you've been with us a little while, you'll know that he is the guy who took over from Belshazzar. And that happened... Because, well, Belshazzar saw the famous writing on the wall and he died that very night from God's judgment. And straight after that, Darius the Mede comes along. And because Daniel says it's the first year of Darius the Mede's rule, it means that Daniel prayed this prayer around about the time of when the stuff in chapter 6 was happening. And if you remember what chapter 6 was all about, Daniel gets a very serious um, appointment And then he gets tucked in with the lions. And that was the story there. But the key thing with all of this is that Daniel and a handful of God's people are in Babylon. They're not in Jerusalem. They're not in their homeland. They are far, far away. Their homeland, their hometown, Jerusalem, has been destroyed by the Babylonians. And most of the people in Jerusalem have been killed. Except for Daniel and a few other mates as well. Basically, nearly all of them have been wiped out. And it's a sad and sorry state for the once true, once people of the, of the true and living God, the, the great people of God, are now in this horrible state. When you think back to King Solomon, that amazing temple, his extraordinary wealth, his remarkable wisdom. All of those great heady days of the people of God... They're just a whole bunch of ruins. And the best and the brightest, well, they're under the thumb of a foreign ruler. It's a bad state of affairs. And you've got to stop and wonder, how did it get to this? How did God's people go from hero to almost zero? How did that happen? And what's more, as we contemplate this, we are forced, I think, to ask some really tough questions about what we think about God. Really tough questions. We've got to ask ourselves, how could an all-powerful, all-loving God let this happen to his own people? Why? Is it because he's not all-powerful? Oh, that might be the reason. Oh, is it because he's not all-loving? That might be the reason. Well, no, But these are the questions that when we are in suffering, we naturally ask of ourselves about God. God, if you're really that strong, why don't you stop this? If you're really that loving, why don't you remove this suffering? Maybe you've asked those questions of God as you've gone through suffering or you've seen others go through suffering. You're thinking, God, why can't you fix it? You made the world with a word and yet why is it that you can't get me out of this hole? And why is it that the loved one I love is suffering so horribly? Do you not love us? Or can't you actually really do anything about it? These are the natural questions. And people have asked these questions of God for centuries as they've cried out to him. And I I would be surprised if Daniel himself didn't at some stage, at some point, ask those same questions. Maybe this whole time we're looking at now is before his near-death experience in the lion's den, or maybe it's after. But as he's in the middle of the suffering, naturally he's wanting to know the answer to these questions. So where does he find the answers? Well, to find the answer, he turns to the Bible. Smart move. Be like Daniel. Have a look at what he looks at. Well, we, we read about his journey in verse 2. He says, During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, Learned from reading the word of the Lord, good move, Daniel, reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. He, he reads the book of the Bible called Jeremiah and he learns that the destruction of Jerusalem has all happened according to God's plan. It was always going to happen, but it wasn't going to continue forever, which gives him some hope. So have a look here. Jeremiah 25, verses 7 to 11. Let me read them out to you. But you would not listen to me, says the Lord. You made me furious by worshipping idols you made with your own hands, bringing on yourselves all the disasters you now suffer. And now the Lord of heaven's army says, because you have not listened to me, I will gather together all the armies of the north under King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, whom I have appointed as my deputy. I will bring them all against this land and its people and against the surrounding nations. I'll completely destroy you and make you an object of horror and contempt and a ruin forever. This entire land will become a desolate wasteland. Israel and her neighboring lands will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So, was God weak? Was he lacking in power? Uh Uh-uh, not at all. Even the evil committed by Babylon against God's people was all part of God's plan. In fact, the Lord says that he appointed Nebuchadnezzar as his deputy. Get our heads around that. This is how the sovereignty of God looks in this world. But why did it happen? Why did this horrible event happen upon Jerusalem and God's people? It's because they worshipped idols instead of the true and living God. They rejected God, and so now they're getting justice. You know, some people find it really hard to understand how God could be angry at us. You know, well, you know my picture of God is He just wants to just hug everybody, whatever you do, whatever you think doesn't really matter, he's just this big, huge, celestial teddy that just wants to hug you. That's my God. It's like, well, you've got a good imagination, but what's God really like? What's the true God like? Let's have a look at the Bible. And as we read the Bible, we see that we are in God's world. This is critical. God made the world, and he made us, and we have no right to ignore him. This is where it all comes back to, right? And we are all, as humans, crazy if we think we can get through life and pretending he doesn't exist. It's a bit like a tenant who doesn't pay any rent, okay? A tenant who doesn't pay rent. When they haven't been paying rent for weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months, eventually the landlord who owns the place is going to kick them out. And when that happens, it's fair. But God's people, his people did much more than just ignore their heavenly landlord they've actually paid the rent to somebody else. They've paid the rent to somebody else. They've worshipped other gods, which is shocking and stupid and sad. And if God does nothing, it makes him look like a wimp. What are you going to do, God? Don't just stand there. Don't just let them abuse you that way. It's just not right. And so God does what is right. By taking action. He doesn't just sit there doing nothing. He uses the Babylonian king to smash up Jerusalem and to smash up his people. And off they go to Babylon. But it's not the end of the story. For we read that their punishment would only go on for 70 years. This is what Daniel's been reading in his quiet time. And it continues, chapter 29 of Jeremiah says, This is what the Lord says, You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, Daniel all of God's people, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and I'll bring you home again to your own land. It's a wonderful word of hope. This is what Daniel's been reading and he says, oh, I now get it. I now understand. It's it's good news. It's It's a gospel in that sense. And it tells Daniel about how God plans to save his people and it tells Daniel about how to properly respond to God's invitation. So what does he do? He hears God's voice. He learns of this gospel promise. And because of that, Daniel believed God's promise and he followed God's word. This is not rocket science. It's just the way God works in his world. He acts by his promise, by his word. And what do you do when someone says something to you? Well, you've got a choice. You've listened. are you going to believe it? And if you believe it, Are you going to do something about it? So when God says, whoever believes in me shall not perish but have eternal life, that's the word, that's the gospel, that's the promise. What are you going to do with it? Go, oh, that's interesting, that's nice. Are you actually going to believe it? That's what you do with promises. And that's what Daniel needed to do here. And he did verse 3, back to chapter 9. So I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap or, or, or Hessian, and I sprinkled myself with ashes. He, he goes pretty hard. He really reacts to what he has understood about his sin and their sin. He, he prays, he fasts, he, he wears Hessian, he sprinkles himself with ashes, and shows by this very, very physical expression that he's really, really sorry. He took it really, really seriously. It's not kind of like one of those sort of sorries. It's sort of a bit of a roll of your eyes. It's like, you say sorry to that boy. Oh, sorry. It's not one of those, right? This is a deadly, serious sorry. And it comes with remorse. And that's what true repentance does. It comes with deep remorse. Heartbroken, emotionally crushed, deep remorse. That is what he brings before his God. And that is what happens when we too understand what our sins are really like. That's what should happen to us when we realise how much we have hurt God by what we've done. It's not just like that there's rules and we've broken them and we've got fines. It's actually like we've gone up to God and punched him in the head. It's a really deeply personal thing. Daniel understood that. And he is so sorry. And so here's how he prays on behalf of his people. From verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. This is his wonderful prayer. Have a look at it. Oh Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfil your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. Beautiful words. How does he start? He tells God how good he is. And he says, oh, by the way, God, you keep your promises. That's what you do. Like, I know that, you know that, but let's just put it out there because I'm about to talk to you about some stuff. He knows that God is full of love and mercy. And so he tells that to God. Now, we know that, but that's the foundation with which Daniel comes to the Lord. When he prays, he says, I know he keeps his promises. When you pray in the morning, when your phone goes off and you open up the Bibles and you read the Bible and you talk to God, the foundation that you stand upon is that God keeps his promises. That's how he opens up the batting, right there. God, you're full of love and mercy and you keep your promises. And then he says, verse 5, but we have sinned. And we have done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. What does he do? He makes it very, very clear that God's people have deliberately rebelled against him. It's not like, oh, oh, sorry God, oops, didn't mean to do that. It's like, no, I meant to do that. I deliberately did it. And it's kind of like when a person turns their back on someone who's speaking to them. You know, you're talking to someone and they walk away like, don't you walk away from me like that. Don't you turn away and walk away from me. That's what... Daniel knows that God's people have done. They've turned their back on him. It's not like like they've just sort of daydreamed. It's like, Hmm. off they go. Don't you turn your back on me, God says. But they did. And Daniel knows it. And they've done even more. And they're guilty. Verse 7, he says, Lord, you're in the right. But as you can see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel, scattered near and far, wherever you've driven us, because of our disloyalty to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, princes and ancestors are covered, there we go, covered with shame, because we have sinned against you. They're not just a bit like, oh sorry Lord, it's like, they are, Daniel on their behalf is devastated. He is embarrassed. It's kind of like all of the things that they've done wrong have been, have been played out on the internet and shared. It's kind of like out there for everyone to see and it's just so embarrassing. Covered in shame. That is what Daniel says to the Lord about what his own people have done to him. Have you ever felt shame before? Have you ever felt ashamed of something you've done? I, I, I ask that question knowing that you have, because I have on many occasions, I'm sure we all have. We look back and say, oh, I'm so ashamed of that. Maybe nobody saw it. Maybe it was just God who saw it. Or maybe it was quite public. Maybe it was just one person or a handful of people and you've done this thing and you are ashamed. Shame. It is a powerful feeling. That's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling but just sitting there and you think, what do I do with it? This is how Daniel felt. And whether or not God's people, other people, also felt it, they're still covered with shame. But no sooner does does Daniel speak of their sin, no sooner does Daniel speak of it, That he speaks of God's mercy. Verse 9. He says, But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. They are full of shame, but God is full of mercy and forgiveness. Daniel knows that because he's read his Bible. Daniel is a smart guy. Be like Daniel, read your Bible. (laughs) you'd be surprised what you find in it it's exactly this Daniel is certain that God is full of mercy, Daniel is in no doubt that he will forgive and that's the solid ground he stands on before God as he prays this prayer if you don't feel close to God maybe you feel like there's a thing there that you've got to talk to God about but you haven't really or maybe you You're going through a hard patch in life and you're finding it hard to feel anything, really, let alone feeling close to God and God's love. And you feel like, sort of like if God was in the room and you'd sort of just feel awkward being with him. You'd sort of want to walk past and not look up or whatever like that. If you're feeling that, if you're not sure that God really loves you, like really, really loves you, or you don't really have confidence that he would forgive you, even especially for that thing that only you and he know about, you think... I'm just not really 100% sure he would forgive me. If you think that, read your Bible. Read what God has promised. Know for sure that our Lord is full of mercy and forgiveness. He promises it and it is true. And that is true even when We rebel against him. Our sins are many, and his mercy is more. Don't ever forget that. But then, on the basis of God's mercy and forgiveness, Daniel tells God just how they've sinned. Not that God needed to know, but it's important Daniel says it because he says, verse 10, we have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we've not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction, God, and has turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. Not obeyed, not followed, disobeyed, refused to listen. It's like not listening, not listening, not listening, not listening. It's like God is speaking, and they've put on the noise cancelling headphones. Not listening. Their problem is that they've done it deliberately. And nobody can get away with deliberately ignoring God. And Daniel knows that's why they've been punished so hard. He says, So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because of our sin. You, Lord, have kept your word and you've done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. God said, If you do this, I will punish you made it very clear. They knew it. And he's done it. Any surprises there? God's doing what he must do. He's keeping his promise. He promised that if they sin, he will punish. That's how justice works. Now, I don't think anyone really wants to live in a world without justice. Nobody wants to live without justice. We don't like it when we get the punishment we justly deserve, but, you know, we... We really don't like it when people don't get the punishment they justly deserve, especially when we've been hurt by them. God kept his word. He did as he warned. Which is a reminder that if you think that you can go through life ignoring God and get away with it, you're kidding yourself. God will punish sin one way or another. And this is how he did it to his people at the time of Daniel, verse 12b. He says, then never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Be cool. Then he goes on to say, every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. And yet we've refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognising his truth. Therefore the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things for we did not obey him. You see, the... The destruction of Jerusalem was the ultimate disaster. And if it wasn't for Daniel and a few others, the whole memory of God and his people and his place and his promises would have been just wiped out. That's how severe the punishment was. But it was just. It was fair. It's exactly what they deserved. But they didn't seek mercy. They didn't turn from their sins. They didn't recognise his truth. And that's why God did all those things to punish them. But now that he's, that he's acknowledged their sin, Daniel says to God, "Can you please undo the punishment? Can you stop it, Lord? Please." He asks God for mercy. But why can he do that? How can he possibly have the audacity to say, "God, please, now I know I've know been really bad, but can you can you stop the punishment now, please?" Why would he do that? How could he do that? Well, the reason is that God has rescued his people in the past. Verse 15, he says to God, O Lord, our God, you brought lasting honour to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. And in view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Daniel says to the Lord, one word or two, the Exodus. Remember Lord, remember that amazing thing you did taking us out of Egypt. The way that you looked so good and so strong and all the nations of the world knew that you were the Lord. Even Pharaoh realised it. And he says, Lord, remember that? It's funny how often the Exodus appears in the Old Testament time and time again, all through the Psalms, and it's right here as well. It was this moment when basically we we see the greatest rescue of the Old Testament, really, up till now. It's the gospel of the Old Testament is the Exodus out of Egypt. God rescued them and that was the good news. And now Daniel tells God, can we have some more of that? You know what you did to the exodus? You've got form in this way, God. You have done powerful things beyond our imagination. Can you please do it again? And because he is... But that's not the only reason he's done it. That's not the only reason. He says, verse 16b, all the neighbouring nations mock Jerusalem and they mock your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. Daniel tells God something that he already knew, and that is, the destruction of of Jerusalem makes God look bad. It's not a good look. I mean, Jerusalem is the Lord's city, right? And talk me through what it's like right now, Lord. Smashed up. Your people killed how does it make you look lord it makes you look weak it makes you look unloving this whole thing lord this big babylonian exile it's to be honest bad for your reputation it's bad for your name so lord please restore jerusalem so that people will stop speaking badly about you I hate it when people say, ha, the Lord, ha, check out Jerusalem, need I say any more? Daniel says, Lord, it, I don't want people to keep talking about you like that. Please fix Jerusalem because it makes you look weak and unloving and I hate that, Lord. Please would you do that? And so it's because of his mercy that he asks it but it's also because of his name his name that is defamed defamation is a horrible thing when people say things about you and others hear about it and you can see why big organizations and powerful and very public individuals will take others to court when people say things about them that are not true That's happening to God. And Daniel says, this defamation of you, God, we've got to fix it. Please would you fix it? And so with all of that, he says, if you save us, if you restore Jerusalem, then, well, it's two good things. One, we get to experience your mercy. But secondly, your name is glorified. And so he says, in these final verses from the prayer, he says, O Lord, our God, Hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary in Jerusalem. Oh, my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, Jerusalem, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea not because we deserve help, because of your mercy. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, don't delay, O oh my God. For your people and your city, bear your name. And that's the end of this prayer. He tells God their sin and he says he's He's truly sorry for it. it. And then he begs that he might save them. So what happens next? Well, let's read on. It continues a little bit more. Verse 20, we read that, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. And then, as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. This is kind of cool. Blink it and you'll miss it. But he's in the middle of having this intense prayer with God and he's hardly got to the Amen yet. And then it's kind of like, you know, right in front of him. God is already saying, I hear you. And now here's what's going to happen. Right then, right in front of him. Gabriel's there. And here's what he said, verse 22. He explained to me, Daniel, I've come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. Check that out. The moment you started praying, boom, God answers it, right? And now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. You are very precious to God. Listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. It's a wonderful answer to prayer already. And why? Because Daniel is very precious to God. And here's what the Lord spoke through Gabriel. his his messenger, verse 24. He says, a period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. That's a whole lot of stuff here. However long it is, it's a defined amount of time and it's not forever. It's not too long actually. And then the rebellion will end. Verse 25, And he says, now listen and understand, seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defences despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple, the end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. It's pretty intense, apocalyptic kind of stuff, right? And it keeps going. The ruler will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven, but after half this time we will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he'll set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. It's all kind of head-spinning, apocalyptic kind of stuff, right? And I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about it at all, but looking back in history, it seems to fit in with the horrible stuff that that guy, Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, did in the 2nd century. But the point is that the return from Babylon, as wonderful as it is, it's not actually going to be permanent. Because others are going to come and also cause problems. But in all of this, God continues to be sovereign. And that's how the chapter ends. But it's not without hope. See, God has heard the prayer of Daniel and he's answered it. And he will answer it through the work of, did you see who? An anointed one. And if you read it in the Hebrew, then you would have seen the word Messiah from which we get Messiah, the Anointed One. In, in, in Greek, it's, it's Christos, Christ. That's what the Anointed One is. Interesting, isn't it? King Cyrus is a Christ. <laughs> he's not even a Christian, <laughs> but he's a Christ, right? He's a Anointed One, the God that, one that God has said, I am going to give you this special job of restoring my people, as he does. But in doing so, I think what we see here is we see a pattern. We see how it is that God is going to save. And He's going to do it as, well, He did it then as a Messiah did this remarkable re- return to Jerusalem. But it wouldn't last forever. But there was a Messiah who would. And that is, we would see that Jesus, the Christ, would fulfill that promise forever. He would, to go back to verse 24. He would put an end to their sin, atone for their guilt, bring in an everlasting righteousness, confirm the prophetic vision and anoint the most holy place. All of that, as we would unpack it if we had time, you could see what it is that Jesus did. And it was what was promised back then. But the Jerusalem, if we look there today, it's not really as exciting as it was once. So it's not that Jerusalem, is it? No. It's the heavenly Jerusalem. It's what we read of in the very final section of the Bible, in Revelation. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I saw a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. And they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone. Forever. This is what Daniel could only dream of. And yet between Daniel and us in history, is was Jesus. And all that was promised to Daniel has come true in Jesus. And now we await the time when we will see it fully, the new Jerusalem that we long for. And in all of this, we can see that if the Lord God would forgive the stubborn and rebellious people whose sin led to the exile in Babylon, if he'd forgive them, then he'll even forgive me. And you. And it's because he promises it. He promises to forgive our sins. For as we read, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. That's the promise. And God will keep it for sure. We're going to sing. See if you can guess what the song is.